Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with Adam Draper, very special guest, friend of the firm, uh, co-founder of Boost VC, the pre-seed fund making sci-fi reality uh, with investments focused on crypto, VR, and other sci-fi. Uh, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Eric. So Adam, this has been long in the making. Uh, I know. <laughs> I'm so glad we're doing this. I'm a big fan of your podcast as well. So yeah, well, no, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. Uh, you, you have figured out how to be incredible at listening and asking questions in a way that I, I think you are the best. Oh, no, you're, you're too kind. Yeah. Thank, thank you. It's wonderful to have you. You have been doing Boost VC since 2013? Uh, 2012. Okay. You were at crypto early. VR early. I, I was. I, so why don't we give sort of a historical overview of how you've seen sort of the, the space evolve since you started doing it? Like what were VCs saying, you know, early 2012, 2013, 2014, you know, crypto was hot, then it's not hot. How has your sort of like focus, uh, evolved as you've seen the, the, the spaces evolve? Yeah. So originally it was Bitcoin. So that the entire ecosystem was focused around one right. token and it was Bitcoin. And we, uh, I was very fortunate to have met uh, Brian Armstrong at a coffee shop in in Mountain View called Red Rock. Yeah. Have you been there? I've not been there. It's a great place. I need to go to Mountain View more. I've performed very well from meetings wow. at Red Rock. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, for venture capitalists everywhere, you should do that. But uh, so basically how it's evolved. I mean, okay, so I, I got to meet Brian Armstrong. I thank him so much uh, because what he really did, and it's not even, it is about Coinbase and my investment in Coinbase, but it's really about like, he was my gateway to seeing that there was this future global financial world, like a connected. What he said was at some point the world's going to be on one financial infrastructure. And it wasn't like a question. It was just like, this is how the world's going to work. Why isn't it? There's an internet. It yeah. connects us communication wise. Why not money? Right. And so that sort of carved out a really great niche for, for me. It was tiny at the time. So crypto wasn't crypto. It was small group of people. And the, the, what I loved about early crypto is this idealism activism that they had yeah. that was us against mm -hmm. the world. And I, every single person I met in the crypto ecosystem was the most dynamic person. I use the word dynamic because it was, it was like intelligent, excited. It was like a revolutionary vibe. They all were revolutionaries. Um, and so, and you need that in order to jumpstart an ecosystem. So how it's changed, uh, uh, not to fast forward. So Boost VC, we were the first fund to focus on it, Bitcoin. And we backed, we've backed a hundred companies up till now that are focused in sort of the cryptocurrency. Did you world. consider raising crypto hedge fund during sort of the ICO? Who didn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, completely. We definitely yeah. considered it. What we realized was, uh, that wasn't who we were. Yeah. I saw a lot of uh, people changing who they were in order to sort of accommodate the influx of capital. And what I think I identified was like VCs aren't very good hedge funds and hedge funds aren't very good VC managers. Yeah. So like, that makes sense. Um, I am definitely through and through sort of long-term thinker. And that has proven correct in crypto uh, where at the beginning, venture capitalists, they all met with me as a, uh, I mean, they wanted to learn. 
but none of them were deploying any capital. Uh, and I was, you know, you should support the co- companies. You should do this. And then I'd give my whole like spiel on what Bitcoin was. And I realized I was, I educated the market the way that Brian Armstrong educated the market in that first generation. But also as time wore on through 2013 and 2014 and 2015, not too much changed. They, uh, the, the question started to become this very depressing. So is that Bitcoin thing still a thing? And like, and, and you know, you hear that enough, you start to like feel it and you're like, Oh man, is it still a thing? And you're like questioning yourself. But we were so committed because of the conviction of our founders that we stayed with it and we kept doing it. In fact, what we should have done was when we felt that double down. quadruple down yeah. and yeah. Uh, we would have been inc- like incredibly well off. We ended up being able to participate during that sort of slow period in great companies. Like uh, we were one of the early checks in Polychain. We were like there were a lot of really, really great uh, sort of companies that emerged out of that the darkness. But now what we're going through after this huge pop and I'm sort of making this assumption that everyone understood that in 2017 there's a huge pop uh, and then there was a drop. Uh, and now we're at this sort of plateau and people are sort of asking the same questions. They're like, is it still a thing? Like, where's the value? What's the thing? Like, and this is the most fun part for me is when the market starts to question itself again, because I've already been through it. I know that it'll change again. And it's really about thinking on a long enough timeline. And I know that there will be one uh, network of finance and that we're sort of right in the middle of old finance figuring out who they are and right. new finance eating old finance and like there's this weird thing going on and we don't know where the value is yet well, so, one, yeah. one thing that people ask is uh, even the believers say hey bitcoin is going to be huge but is this a category for venture are there going to will venture firms be able to outcompete with bitcoin uh, and so that was an early question also, which, uh, to be fair, a lot of those people who just bought Bitcoin re- did extremely well. Yeah, totally. Uh, and so I, I have always been investing in the entrepreneurs who are building on top of these protocols yeah. because I believe, and I underestimated the timeline, but I believe there's, there's a point at which, uh, the entrepreneurs out innovate the protocol. And so w- by backing the entrepreneurs, like you just have a higher growth curve than the protocol, which will continue to grow. And like, I also think crypto is like a reason. One of the things I'm very passionate about is basically anyone having access to investing in venture capital slash startups. And crypto is this excuse you can almost use to invest in early stage yeah. things. Yeah. And it educated an entire market on like what early stage investment right. was. Do you think crypto will disrupt venture capital? Yeah, I, I think more. it is. I think it's already sort of changing the way everyone thinks about it. Say more. How so? See, you're good. <laughs> That's that there. That you, everyone who's listening right now, that, that right there, those two words, that is the sign of a truly gifted. I remember uh, watching a, 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 um, an interview with the guy with the startup. What's his name? Alex Bloomberg. Um, yeah. And he said, he gave a, a, a talk on how to interview and he said the words that he uses the most is unpack that. Unpack that. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've watched, once you've started a podcast, yeah, you watch totally. so many people. Yeah, yeah. You watch so many people and unpack that is a yeah, very good totally. word. Okay. So venture, basically there, all of a sudden in 2017, there are all these early stage ideas that were listing on a platform for investment. And yes, ever, all the VCs were like, you don't know what you own. Like that, 
element of fear is something you should definitely throw money at. That That is old world thinking, worried about like this new emerging technology that no one knows what the answer is yet. And so I think I'm, I might not know own exactly an equity, but I own something in this in this uh, value. And what my job is at Boost at Boost VC as an investor, as a, a runner of an accelerator, is really it's about investing where the brains are going to be, not where they are right now. So it's about where they're flowing. And all I know is that really, really amazing people are moving towards crypto still. So that's really exciting. And that's really what our, what, what venture capitalists are always trying to predict is where, where those, where the talent is, where the talent is going and where it is right now. And like, if you could always know where it is and where it's going, like you are going to be the wealthiest person on the planet. Yeah. So I think that it also on the like how it's disrupting is it made everyone on a global scale ask the question, what is money? For a whole generation of people, like when I was in college, it was called economics and it was really boring. And But once you put the word crypto on it, it was a new technology. And suddenly it was probably the most popular class in the last five years because no one really knew what the answer was. And it was everyone accepting that there was no right answer about what money is. And that is the reason. Also, economists early on with Bitcoin, they would always be like, They'd be like, oh, I don't think this is a thing. Like deflationary currency, like we always worry, like fear about this. And then all of a sudden there's this tr- flippening that happened where everyone was suddenly, all the economists were on board because they bought some Bitcoin and it went up. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, what did they not understand about the deflationary? I actually don't understand that part. What, what was their argument or, and why was it wrong? There, evidently there's a lot of research that was done on deflationary currencies. and But it had never been tested in the real world because you couldn't. Because every single currency that ever existed had either had a, well, and it's technically not deflation, it's a fixed amount. But every other global currency, they had the Fed inside of their own countries, and they just printed more cash. So there was always inflation. There was never the opposite of inflation. We were always printing more money to like on the fear basis that we might not have enough cash to cover something. As of now... Yeah, we're at a point in time in Bitcoin where I'm starting to, I believe, I have always believed that it is an amazing store of value. And what the use case is, is really money that is not in a bank. That's the use case right now. I'm, that's not going to be the only use case. There's going to be trust-based applications. There's going to be prediction markets. There, there are gonna, going to be a lot of different uh, avenues. But in general... I think that people keep saying, well, it's not used every day. And anyone who owns a Bitcoin is using it correctly right now. They're using it as their own. This is their money. So say say more about where you're looking or how you make sense of the the Bitcoin ecosystem, the Ethereum ecosystem. Are there other ecosystems you're excited about? Or what's your sort of request for startups within within the crypto space? Yeah. So I think we need to get to user adoption phase. And so it's about quick iteration cycles to figure out what people are using, what they use it for. Uh, how can you get, well, I love m- my mom, but she wouldn't be the first person to use cryptocurrency. Uh, how would you get my mom to use cryptocurrency? Like that's, I think the most important question to be asking. And so I'm looking for front end, not pro- protocol DAP end, because I think that the front end will drive 
the utility of the actual protocols. Yeah. And that's mostly like if you go down our list of like what are what we're looking for. We're looking for well passionate communities yeah. of excited people. If it's Bitcoin versus everything else, Ethereum or I think of it more, I think different protocols are going to be used for different things. Yeah. And I don't know what those things are yet because we're still figuring out what the market is allowing for. But I do know that people are using prediction markets consistently. Um, what are they using it for? Betting. Gambling. Yeah. Mostly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm surprised it's, it's, it's not catching on more. Have you seen startups that you're It always about? ends up being why. You need to ask the question, why should they? Why should a user use it for gambling? And regulatory, most of it's regulatory arbitrage right now. So it's like, okay, internationally, I bet most of the users of all of these prediction markets are international because the United States has come down on sort of really what the rules of cryptocurrency are. And that's a, that's a lot of friction that the U.S. is dealing with. I actually think a lot of the innovation is going to come externally from the United States because we're dealing with so much regulatory overhead. Early on, a lot of these companies, no one knew what Bitcoin was. No one knew what cryptocurrency was. No one knew. And so they were able to work with the regulators. And I think that Coinbase is a good example of a company that worked very closely with regulators to figure out what the systems should be, how to work, how to do AML, KYC, how to make all that stuff work. So I still think that not enough crypto. Uh, I think the difference between a researcher and an entrepreneur is really um, asking the question, why should they use it? So why should they use it? And getting an answer that the, discovering the answer for why your user should be using this product. Because I think a lot of people, I don't think there's a debate about the excitement of the blockchain yeah. and the excitement of cryptocurrency. I think that the, Maybe there is, maybe there is, but I, I just, I don't see it that much anymore. I think the question is more about around education and what the best use cases are for. Yeah. Are you seeing anything in gaming? I, it's still too early. It's still early. I do, I see a fair amount of gambling, gaming. I think mostly, uh, I'm an obsessive, uh, collector of sports cards and comic books. And so, I connect with the blockchain for games on yeah. like a childhood level where scarcity was that's all the Panini brothers. I don't know if anyone knows about the Panini brothers. It's like a monopoly in the sports card industry. And they, uh, they say we deliver surprise. Like that's their, that's like their thing because they have uh, different foil cards that are more rare than other cards. And you can do that on the blockchain now. But the cool thing is, I, what I haven't seen is people getting more creative. I haven't yeah. seen, hey, this card, because it's been used a hundred times, because you can verifiably prove that it's been used a hundred times, is more powerful. Yeah. Like that's something that we're not seeing. We're not seeing the history. Totally. I got introduced to my dad at some point. He has a uh, 10,000 comic books in his, uh, in his house. We should, we should just have like a, a trade, totally. a trade war. Yeah. Yeah. And then my, one of my favorite novels ever is Cavalier and Clay. It's all about, you're, you're, it's all about comic books. Yeah. It's an incredible novel. I want to zoom out a little bit. So you know, you talk about sci-fi, uh, or, or, or in terms of defining the, the final thesis. I'm curious which sci-fi has been most inspiring to you or which science fiction futures are, are more exciting to you. Maybe conversely, which ones are you less excited about or don't want to live in or trying to prevent? <laughs> yeah. 
So we use sort of the crypto ecosystem. I'm going to sort of segue into sci-fi because we use the community of the cryptocurrency world that was this passionate idealist activist mentality. And we supplanted some sort of entrepreneurship uh, gene into them um, and delivered a bunch of pr pretty amazing companies out of that uh, in the crypto space, Wire and uh, Repio and Keep. And they're amazing protocols and companies that have been built for, through uh, going through the Boost VC Accelerator. And then we we realized that this sort of like seeded activist idealism like this this genetic code that's in these the raw talented excited entrepreneurs in these spaces was it wasn't just about cryptocurrency like there that is seeded in tons of different technology industries and so we opened up to virtual reality uh we were super early in that space but we still are super early evidently um and then the vrar and we ended up saying the one tagline i would always use is I want to invest in anything that gets me closer to an Iron Man suit. And so it gave, what was interesting about that phrase though, is it gave everyone this impression of like what that world looked like just naturally. Everyone had seen Iron Man. So it was like super easy to like articulate. I want AR VR. I want a flying jetpack. I've backed two jetpack companies. Uh, I've, I want an exoskeleton. I backed an exoskeleton company called Rome Robotics. And so I, I think it, I think of sci-fi tech as a technology that is enabling something that was previously impossible. And so finding the thing, the why now in these uh, stories of the, from these founders is probably the most important question that we're trying to figure out every time we're looking through applications. It's like, why now is the time for this idea to occur? Um, it's very clear in a lot like history of, of companies why now for Google was the internet? Why now for, uh, well, Coinbase was Bitcoin. Why now for, uh, why now for our jetpack companies is VTOL, uh, engines actually became powerful enough to lift, uh, individual off. Um, so like having a very clear why now for any story, any presentation is, is really important. And I find that that's what I really focus on. What worlds do I not want? Okay, here, I'm going to give you my holistic view of the world. I'm going to give you like everything I think about, okay? Uh, I believe that we are humans, okay, on a rock hurtling through space, right? And I think that we're designing technologies to bring us closer together. But we have historical technologies that have kept are keeping us apart. And most of those are defined by borders. And so I believe that there's trillions of dollars locked up in these borders that are slowly being poked through with communication lines, with the internet. And by borders, you mean physical borders? Physical, actual, like yep. drawn on, like if you look at the globe, there are borders drawn on. And I, I understand up until now why they have like existed. And I still know why most of them exist. But I believe that we are going through a period of time where we're, we're trying to connect everyone on a playing field. Yeah. So what I'm trying to invest in are things that sort of bring us closer together at scale. And so those technologies, if you look at cryptocurrency, if you look at well, blockchain, virtual reality, like all of them are designed to make peer-to-peer -peer value transfer happen or presence. Like we could actually be having this conversation in virtual reality right now. We were just talking about uh, Jonathan Trist from um, Ludlow. 
where I hung out with him the most time was actually in a VR poker game. Like, and we got to know each other. So I think that we're, uh, humans should be working together on the hardest problems. And now there are no barriers to connect ourselves geographically. So how do we get the smartest people working on the hardest problems as fast as possible? And so that's, that's what, that's basically my investment thesis. That's what sci-fi is. Totally. Do we think, you know, while we're here, why not? When in Rome, do you think we, do we think humans are sort of a means to an, in, to like transhumans? <laughs> okay. These are great questions. I don't, how far are we going? Because <laughs> Arvind Gupta from Indie Bio said he called them, uh, we are currently homo sapiens, but we're going to evolve to homo, homo concilio, which means designed humans. And because we can now Im- embed CRISPR into yeah. our genetics. There's also, you know, the, I don't need to go through the long list of different ways that the future can go, I guess. But I've, I've found that to be very fascinating where I think that if you talk to a human being 50 years ago, they would think that you're a wizard because of how well connected and networked you are with information. But in the next 50 years, we will think they are superheroes. Because they're stronger, faster, live longer. They're basically like what we would imagine gods to be 200 years ago. And the, um, and well connected. I also believe, sorry, I'm saying a lot of things I believe. I believe humans are good. Like, I think genuinely we're good and we're trying to expand our knowledge base. And so searching for the, the things I get obsessed with are the unknown, known unknowns. Like, what is money is one of these big questions that I think we're still picking at. Like, there's a whole field of finance that's just like asking that question, a whole field of governance and politics. The ocean is 70% of the planet and uh, we have only explored 5%. So like what's in the other 95%? Uh, and that's like Earth is a weird name for a planet that's 70% covered in water. So I'm, I'm fascinated with the, discovering those things to bring our worlds closer together. Totally. Let's segue into AR VR. Um, Love it. So where are we today? Where is the market today? Where are we looking to invest today? And maybe you start by giving a brief historical overview of, you know, from 2013 on, how has it sort of evolved? There hasn't been an ICO boom, like, or boom in AR VR, or has there? I mean, maybe Pokemon Go. I, don't, what, what's... I wrote this recently in a, in a tweet. I was like, people are walking around their lives knowing that virtual reality, the promise of actual virtual reality exists for $400 and they're not freaking yeah. the F out. They're not doing shit. Yeah. Like it blows my mind <laughs> Yeah, because I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, working out in VR every night for 15 minutes being like, I like, it is benefiting my life. Like virtual reality is truly delivering on the promise that I believed in. And I think that there have been like with most technologies, over 40, there's always 40 years of research. Everyone always talks about like the 40 years of research for new technologies. VR has had so many false starts that people won't commit to this time being the time. Like that's what they're not sure of yet. And so I'm what I'm, uh, but on the other side, like we should be freaking out because, uh, well, I, I get, we don't need to be freaking. We should be freaking out. It's awesome. Like it's incredible. I love VR. And there's so many ways. It's amazing for education. Like we live in the matrix. Like you can have the matrix. You can literally be in the matrix. 
China has actually designed an entire city around virtual reality. Like they have a VR AR city. Wow. How crazy is that? There are like 10 million people who live in VR AR city. I forget what it's called. <laughs> if you go to my pod, at, at Boost VC, the Boost VC podcast yeah. and listen to t- my interview with Tipitat, he visited the city and it wow. says like VR AR on all, everything. We should be doubling down because this is the way that we connect with people. Like this is how we can connect with people without geography. Right. I believe the the accidental thing, the accidental use case that I wasn't ready for was fitness. So we we think of gamers in a specific way right now, behind a controller, like behind a mouse pad and a keypad. But now the remote control is your your body, and yeah. so you can suddenly do you know you can do whatever, and you get a workout. Yeah, it's awesome. Wow. Yeah. So what are the use cases you're excited about or, or what's in your request for startups? And yeah. Uh, so actually with VR, AR and with cryptocurrency, it's been very consistent for a very long time, which is uh, for VR, AR, it's training and education. Yeah. Uh, we, we have a company. So job training. Simulation. Yeah. Actually, we, yeah. Simulation. So we have a company called uh, Tribe XR that teaches you to be a DJ and it's incredible. Like it's one of the highest rate rated apps on the quest because, uh, it, you can actually have sort of a lesson and a tutorial. And I think right now we're in a bridging time period where you will have VR AR as a supplement to a e-learning class or a, to create the closeness, yeah. like the connection. And then, um, also the killer app of VR is being together. That's it in different contexts. So if you think about how we hang out, we're hanging out right now in a podcast. You could be hanging out in a pitch session. You could be hanging out at a bar with friends. You could be hanging out on a poker table. And all of those are different. You're in different contexts. And that's a different app. That's a different application of how you're doing this. And so I believe each of those are actually going to be businesses. People are going to bring people together in different contexts to create Ready Player One or like the metaverse that everyone's been promising. What, what do you think is going to be the either the iPhone moment or the ICO where the ICOs were for crypto in terms of like getting everyone really excited about it or like investing in it because they can't miss out, etc. I think it's always there. One is how do you build trust is always the question. And that's what creates these swellings of trust. So cryptocurrency like the price kept moving and not going away. Yeah. And so suddenly there was enough trust that it sort of flipped every flipped on all these traders who were like, wait a second, I'm barely making, you know, 7% a year. Yeah. Uh, these people made seven X this year. Yeah. I should probably buy. And so like, as long as the market doesn't go away, you create that trust in the market. I think for virtual reality, it's really about, I think someone making a ton of money. I think people need to know there's a market yeah. and people need to know that it's not going away to like another Oculus or something. Another ex- yeah. I re- well, but, and with true value, like I would say Oculus was, uh, I mean, it, it's the, an amazing device. Uh, and that team built something that was so futuristic that it's taken six years to get to the market on what the promise was. We are now there. I think it's going to take a software business yeah. making being sold for $200 million, not even a billion. I think it's just like you need a big purchase that proves that, hey, this is the bet of more than just Facebook. This yeah. is the bet of the market. Yeah. I'm speaking very much as a finance person, but like I, I think that, I mean, it, it's show value. It's having a friend say you need this. Yeah. 
it's like all of those things. And do you think it's startups relative to income, like Facebook, you know, Sony, Netflix, Microsoft? It's like, how do you think about incumbents for startups in, in this space? So I think startups have an edge right now because the all venture capitalists think about is like, can this startup uh, gain distribution faster than the incumbent can innovate? Incumbents aren't innovating much in the VR AR space because they don't believe the market's big enough. I believe the market's going to grow insane in the next year. And so that's really what we're figuring out is like, how can they uh, out distribute the incumbent? And how do you think about timing? Like, are there things you look at in VR and AR like, this is just too early, like come back in two years? Or how do you sort of get a sense for timing? Is it usage? And, you know, like, how do you? Yeah, I, there's sort of becoming a standard like language that people are using for this is a good app, this is a bad app. And it's like, you know, are they coming back weekly? It's a yeah. good sign because most people don't use VR weekly. So if they're coming back weekly, that's just yeah. great. Are they making money? We have companies who are making millions of dollars. That's that's wow. that's good for any business. SaaS businesses? Yeah, uh, we have SaaS and we have uh, wow. consumer. So we have both sides wow. making in the millions, which is crazy. So I'm yeah I'm I'm sitting here being like, okay, I I see everything like working. Yeah. When it yeah, so I guess VCs need to see it. they need to see it work. So that's for venture capital as a whole. Four hundred dollars like globally is still an expensive pill to swallow. So if we're expecting to be hanging out with anyone in emerging markets or anything like that, like on the mass adoption scale, it might need to get cheaper. But I don't know. iPhones are everywhere. Totally. Well, was Pokemon Go a flash in the pan? As in, will we see other mobile AR? Greg wasn't Castle came on the podcast last. Week. He wasn't too excited about mobile AR. He says it's unnatural and that AR itself is like five to ten years behind VR. What's your take on mobile AR? And so. I think AR has a harder problem than VR, actually. And VR has a hard problem. But I think it's, it's a lot like VR is like the personal computer adoption. Yeah. And AR is like mobile after the personal computer was adopted. So like we already had, we need the first thing to get to the second yeah. thing. Um, and right now, all these big companies are so excited about it because a lot of things look cool. And entertainment is a great use case for AR today. I yeah. actually think – I think Snapchat's an AR company. Yeah. Like I think technically mobile AR works. Like there are companies that make a lot of money on the fact that they are an AR business. Yeah. But on the like startup scale of the world markets, I think we need persistent AR and those come with glasses. And to get to glasses, it's a higher technical achievement and it's a habit change. So habit changes, in my experience, are very expensive. Yeah. It just takes time. So maybe maybe that's going to be the why now for when AR but is ready. That means that we, I should start investing in AR companies right now. I'm sounding negative. That means that I should be backing them now for in three, four years. Like if you're, yeah. And so I think VR is going to hit this year. But a lot of those investments, I, I've made 80 yeah. VR AR investments. If Bitcoin was the why now for Coinbase, what's the what's the why now for for these invest for VRAR? It would have been Oculus it exists, and the market. You see, it's the overlap. You see, the argument would be the overlap of market adoption. There being a certain number. Uh, Facebook just said they think that in a couple of years there's going to be a hundred million of them, but like you know, that's still speculation. But it's the bet that you can make a business work until the masses hit. Yeah. What about the intersection between? blockchain and VR or crypto and VR. It, I mean, the wildest thing is like when we started investing at, in virtual reality, we didn't think about any overlap. We were just like, these are cool, separate 
communities of people yeah. who are awesome. The more we look at it and the more we talk to people, the killer app of VR is blockchain and the killer app of blockchain is virtual reality because if you watch that entire ready player one movie have you seen no i read the book though okay you read the book okay all of those uh when there's an item in an open world there's no way you can actually technically do that without a blockchain right like you can't have a, a digital item that there is a scarce number of without a blockchain and so i was i was watching that movie and i was like this is my world like this is the world i'm, I'm building and yeah, and then I was like, okay, well, I hope they do close on Tuesdays or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I found more and more that we're building this connected digital world. And those, those two elements of the technology, the internet was sort of the first layer. Yeah. The blockchain is the payment and trade layer. And virtual reality is the presence layer. And now we can actually like live there with almost all of the, interactions we have with all humans today, which is crazy. You know, I read Sovereign Individual la last week. And so uh, I'm right there with you on the dissolution of states, not to put words in your mouth, but we were talking about, you know, borders and how to bring people Completely. together. You know, it is interesting. Like, how do we get from here to there <laughs> in a world where governments keep getting stronger? You know, there's China, there's US and there's militaries. And I mean, how do we get there? Yeah. Is what your question? Yeah, basically. Your question is, how do we get there? Yeah, like what happens? <laughs> so we're, we're in a bridge generation. Yeah. I'm speculating. Of course, we're all I don't know what the future looks like. <laughs> we're all speculating. Yeah. I, 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 I wrote something similar to, this, to someone and I said, uh, I don't know, tomorrow like zebras could have been playing the long game and take over the human species. So like I might be wrong. But I think that the conversation around the next 10 years is big tech versus big government. Yes. So I think that that is just beginning. Like, we're just seeing Mark Zuckerberg go to the here. Right. The I mean, if Elizabeth Warren wins, we'll be seeing a lot more of it. Yeah. And we're just seeing, like, everyone's, you know, fearing for their privacy, but it's been known that the United States, like, yeah. wants all that data for the, themselves. The surveillance capitalism complaint is about capitalism, not about the surveillance yeah. part. Yeah. It's, it's like not yeah. about the privacy, but they're making it sound like it's about the privacy. And so, and China's like openly doing all these things pretty much. Yeah. And, and so it's, I think that it's really about it. Are our governments going to start working with the corporations yeah. in a way to move us to this open bordered world? So a good ex example is like Estonia. Yeah. Estonia created a digital citizenship. You can actually just file online to become a citizen of Estonia. I'm running into a lot of, well, I've been going into these uh, ocean. I'm pretty obsessed with the ocean. Like I said, uh, a lot of these smaller islands yeah. want to be big ocean yeah. countries. Wow. So they want, they're, they're, they're like, we're small yeah. land, but we're big ocean. So they want to invest in the fisheries and they want to invest in. Did you um, follow seasteading at all? I, fo I followed it. I read the book. I read, there's a book called seasteading. Yeah. I recommend it. It's yeah. amazing. I am. I, it, Can that work? Yes. I think we live in a time when anything anyone imagines can be built, yeah. which is either we are uh, impeded by our imaginations now. Like we're slow, slower on our imaginations than we used to be. So that's a bad thing. Or we're just at a point in time where we figured out the tool sets to be able to build anything. So on the seasteading, like it's very possible. There's the technology that exists today. If you think about it, cruises are an yeah. example of people living in water, like on the, sh on water uh, year round. There are people who just pay for a ticket on a cruise all year and they don't even have a house anymore. 
So the technology exists even if you think of it as cruise ships. But I love the idea of smaller countries accepting that they have a digital, large digital presence. And so starting to reinvest in those things is a really big deal. Now, we haven't even talked about AI, but AI is going to be a very important part of like building these these tool sets. I don't think of it. I think AI is one of these things that's just going to be in everything, just like the Internet's in everything, just like the blockchain is going to be like everything's weaving together. I read a great book called Super, uh, AI Superpowers that's yeah really focuses on China book right? the China book yep. it's China versus US it yep. really focuses on that making it sound like no one else is, can even participate because there's so much more data in China and the United States I think that it always ends up being about what the use case is yeah. like we, we build tools like a hammer can be used for a lot of different things we end up using tools in different ways. Is it the most efficient? Is it the best? Like one AI might be really, really good for like finance. Yeah. That same AI probably won't be great for seasteading. Like I, I don't know if we're going to have like, and then, you know, there might be a su- superpower at some point that where it all bonds together, but that might just be called human species yeah. uh, and ideally on multiple planets. So I, Okay, how do we – the original question. I want to get back to the original question because I think it's an important one. It's really about aligning incentives amongst the world. And that's what I'd say business and venture capitalists are really, really good at where governments are really, really good about maintaining governance. Yeah. And there needs to be – and I think that this is where tokens are going to play a very large role in voting. For things, marketplaces, it's about creating a marketplace for everything. And so the technology of blockchain for governance is going to be so incredibly important. Suddenly I'm voting for, I'm voting for, you know, uh, how the United States, uh, US dollar should be deployed through like an Aragon DAO. And like, that's exciting. Like I, we should have votes in a lot of different things. In the government, it's a big, yeah, whatever it's called, like a black box that we don't really know about. So I think, um, how do we get there? We keep investing in great technology and great people. And hopefully, I believe that a, like the picture of the world that I believe is like the most uh, happy is yeah. one where the, every person who has chosen their mission, who has discovered what their lifelong mission is, is enabled to carry it out. Yeah. So that is, and my mission is to enable those. Totally. And so that's been like my, my thing I've chosen to, that is my lifelong mission is to get better at finding the people who have chosen their mission and yeah. enable them to do it. So I think that in short, how we get to sort of like less strong, yeah. less it's not even less strong governments i'm okay with super strong governments i but just opt in or yeah. choice more choice more freedom more choice and freedom more vote yeah. i think that that's going to be the thing that everyone votes for yeah. everyone wants choice everyone wants vote people in venezuela aren't happy that their money is worth like one one millionth yeah. of what it was last month uh the you know without any representation or yeah and argentina just shut down the ability to buy the us dollar for any company and then every citizen can only own like 2000 bucks worth uh which makes it essentially illegal in the country of argentina uh india has shut down all crypto related things we are seeing firsthand like we're we have a ticket to 
countries fighting back against a technology they thought was a joke. So we're seeing the fight right now. We're in the middle of fight time. Yep. First they laugh at you and then they... Yeah. uh, uh, First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And like, I think we're at fight. Like it's... it's, uh, They are identifying that there might be a loss. Yeah. They've laughed at us and, and now they... And, and then they're going to have to collaborate. Yeah. Now they're bringing Mark Zuckerberg to Congress. And if you fight, we don't want to collaborate as much. Like that, <laughs> totally. that's sort of how it works. Yeah. I, like, I think it's popular to hate on Mark Zuckerberg right now. Like, f- I don't really know why. He's connected more of the planet than anyone ever thought fathomable. Right. He has 2 million people actively using his platform. That is insane. Like, I think if any other country were to have... Uh, th- any other country wants to say that Facebook was started in their country. And like right now we're all like mad at him. And I get like it is, there is a do good thing, but there's always friction in the process of the, the like growth and scale. And we're, we're figuring out the friction points. Totally. The mission to enable people to choose what they, what they want to do and technology uh, helping do that. And it's a perfect place to close. Uh, My guest today has been Adam Draper, uh, Adam, for the uh, entrepreneurs and investors who want to get in touch with you about building uh, crypto or VR projects or, or sharing them with you, where would you point them? Uh, so Boost VC, we're the accelerator for sci-fi tech. We invest $500,000 uh, into the companies that go through our program. Uh, we have two programs a year. Actually, we're open right now for our, our, our applications are open. And I would send them to boost.vc slash apply if you want to apply yeah that or boost.vc just to check it out or follow me at at adam draper and subscribe to my podcast yeah it's a fantastic podcast adam thank you so much for coming on hey thank you this is great if you're an early stage entrepreneur we'd love to hear from you please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst.